0: Oh, dear. We become a race of peeping toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. Yes, sir. How's that for a bit of homespun philosophy? Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. (laughs) NBC presents Frank Sinatra, starring as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune.
1: Hi, this is The Rock. At least the three-carat rock these days, since I'm digging my living out of the Park Avenue Hills. That's, I'm still hip to the Broadway and Tenth Avenue beat while gathering my Mink Street paycheck. My process serving occupation at Perry Shane's Law Factory only functions when there are processes to be served. Nothing was on the Park Avenue stove at this particular day, so I gathered up my frame and started to take it over to the other side of the tracks. (laughs) While passing along and counting the mahogany panels in the outer office, the ultra-solid door of Perry Shane's inner
2: sanctum opened. And a perfectly normal sound emanated from Mr. Shane's larynx. Oh, Rocky, glad I caught you. I need another witness for this will. Mrs. Bigelow, this is Mr. Fortune.
3: Fortune? No, it's an odd name. should be mine, and they could call me Miss Fortune. That's very funny. I didn't think I had a joke left in.
1: Uh, yeah. You should hear my material.
2: What do I sign?
3: It doesn't make much difference, Mr. Fortune. It's only a formality. It's a perfectly simple will. I'm only doing it because you insist, Mr. Shane.
2: I must insist, Jane. It's a perfectly clear legal document. You have no children, so your husband is your only beneficiary.
1: Well, If you'd rather I sign it later, I'll wait outside till you're ready.
3: Sign it now, if you like. It makes no difference to me. Because I know it will not be executed.
1: Well, you can take my two cents for its face value, but how can you be so sure?
3: I'm sure, Mr. Fortune, very Sure. You see, I'm afraid I'm going to kill him.
1: With those deadly words, I expected her to jump on a broomstick and go sailing out of the window. Instead, she picked up her hairless mink made of aging tweed and closed the door behind her. I took the bulging double O's off the space she had just vacated and put them back in my skull. Hey, uh, Mr. Shane, is it not a little early for Halloween?
2: She's a very unfortunate woman, Rocky. A woman steeped in the deadliest of fears. What's she afraid of? She's afraid of losing her mind. And she don't act like she's hanging on to it very well right now. It's all groundless fear based on heredity. Her mother died insane, and she's convinced the same thing will happen to her.
1: What's all this routine about killing her
2: husband? Shouldn't she be watched if she makes for statements like this? Well, her husband is convinced it's harmless, and... He won't let anyone else look after her. She's lucky she has him, at least. Well, this is his life. Yes, it's his life, and I'm worried about it. Rocky, I hate to ask you to do this for me, but will you go out there to their home for a few days and keep your eye on things? Why not? Just give me time to go to my tailors and pick up a special little drape shape. Uh, Translation, please. A white Benny, friend. A little
1: white coat. I think this I'm going to (laughs) need. With a white coat clutched in my white little hand, I made my way out to the Long Island barn of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Bigelow. Shane paved the way with the help of Don Amici's favorite invention, and they were expecting me. The reception committee had nice, gleaming white teeth. Well, at least you could say hello. Don't worry, fellas, I ain't coming in without your permission. Now, take it easy, boys. Hmm, don't tell me my fatal fascination is working
3: boys. Just open the gate, Mr. Fortune, and come in.
1: They're friendly little kids, aren't they?
3: Well, don't worry, Mr. Fortune. Open the gate. They obey
1: me. I hope they get the same message.
3: Uh, will you uh, please make sure the gate is closed behind you? What
2: happened to the dogs?
3: Well, they've gone back to the house. They'll come back to the gates as soon as we're indoors.
1: Um, Have you talked with Mr. Shane?
3: Yes, he uh, called about an hour ago. I'm not quite sure what he expects you to be able to do. I don't think you can do anything. I don't think anyone can do anything.
1: Then why don't you help yourself? Where I come from, that's always the best treatment.
3: Help myself? I can't help myself, Mr. Fortune. If I could get myself to a doctor, I'd be doing just that. So why not go? Because I'm afraid of what he'll do after he examines me. I'm afraid of myself, Mr. Fortune. I'm afraid of what I'm capable of doing. I am capable of murder.
1: Well, let's take it easy, Mrs. Bigelow. Look, if you want to murder somebody, there's got to be a reason. It can't be money.
3: Money? Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not money. And it's not hate. You see, I love my husband, Mr. Fortune. And he loves me. Mm -hmm.
1: The house she ushered me into looked like it had been looking for a friend for years. This, like madame, was a crazy little mixed-up house. Whenever you expected another room, you fell over another set of steps. She took me up one of these sets of steps, opened the door, and left a deposit. Me. The knocking that came upon my chamber door could have been the raven. It wasn't.
2: Good evening, Mr. Fortune. I'm Tom Bigelow.
1: Oh, hi. Come on in, Mr. Bigelow. I'm just sort of setting my compass.
2: I uh, wanted to talk to you for a few minutes before we joined Jane downstairs.
1: Say, uh, your wife's kind of upset. Uh, It's nothing unusual. I'm afraid Jane is always upset by some fear or the other. From my seat in the balcony, I'd say she needs a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something pretty bad. She needs one desperately, but I can't get her to go. This latest obsession is almost too much. You mean um, about being afraid of killing you? That's right. You
2: know, she had me pick up a package for her at the sporting goods store in the village. I looked inside the package when I got home. It was a gun. When I asked her why she wanted it, she told me I needed it to protect myself against her.
1: You know, the common sense school don't give diplomas, so I can't set myself up as an expert. But it seems to me that you're not safe in this house while she's carrying around a little idea knocking you off. No one's safe in this house. That's why I wanted to talk to you alone. I appreciate
2: Perry Shane's concern and your wanting to help, but it it isn't safe. That's why we can't keep maids or cooks. The only help we have is Fred. He drives and does as much cleaning as possible. That's why the house is always in this condition. I just can't trust her with people. What are you two talking about? Oh, we were just about to come downstairs to join you, dear.
3: You were talking about me when I came in. What were you saying?
1: I I was just telling Mr. Bigelow here that I'm a big boy now, and the salt air here on the island kind of gets the appetite.
2: Yeah, we shouldn't keep Mr. Fortune waiting for his dinner, dear. Uh,
3: I'm sorry, Mr. Fortune. Closed doors do strange things to me. I hear voices through them. Voices talking about me. Well, they
2: were voices, our voices. But we weren't discussing you. I hope you won't mind, Mr. Fortune.
3: I'm not feeling well. Would you mind eating with Tom?
2: Well, of course he wouldn't, dear. In fact, I don't think it's good for you to
1: eat alone. I'll have Fred serve Mr. Fortune's dinner, and we'll eat in your room. Oh, look! I can scramble some mean eggs myself. Oh
2: here. no, don't, don't worry about that. It's all prepared.
1: He'll have his dinner, and we'll have a cordial together. And Fred will drive him to the station. That sounds
2: fine.
3: Well, I'll uh, chat for a minute while you see about dinner, Tom.
2: Don't you tire yourself, dear? Go to your room and. Lie down, and I'll bring up our dinner.
3: Very well, Tom. You, uh, go see about dinner.
2: Only be a few minutes.
3: I was anxious to talk to you alone, Mr. Fortune, because of what Tom just said.
2: He said
1: a lot of things.
3: He said that Fred would drive you to the station after dinner. Does that mean you aren't staying?
1: Well, yes. Of course, if you want, I'll come back tomorrow, but I've got to get back to town tonight.
3: But I know you planned on staying. Why, after talking to Tom, did you change your mind?
1: I'm still wearing the same old mind, Mrs. Bigelow. I'm just pointing it towards town for the evening.
3: I'm not a child, Mr. Fortune. You're going back to town because Tom told you what I tried to do to Fred.
1: So what if you did try it on Fred? That don't mean it can happen to me. Well,
3: Tom is sure it can happen to you. Particularly now there's a gun in the house.
1: Look, if you're unhappy about the gun, why did you have Tom bring it in the first place?
3: I didn't want it, of course. Tom just thought I should have it handy because I'm alone when he and Fred go to the city.
1: You didn't order it from the village?
3: Well, of course not. I hate the sight of the thing. Particularly since I don't feel I can be trusted. Since I... Since I tried to kill Fred, I'm almost beside myself.
1: If you'd only go to the right kind of doctors for him.
3: I want to. I really want to. But Tom won't let me. Tom won't let you. No. I know why. He thinks they'll have me committed for good.
1: Mrs. Bigelow, I come from a part of town where a killing only makes the inside pages of the tabloids. Small-time hoods, kids gone berserk, drink rotten, jealous husbands go haywire, and they kill. But at least they all think they got a reason. A real reason to them.
3: I realize that. That's why I can't understand why I'm afraid of killing Tom. I can't understand my taking an axe to Fred.
1: How long ago did you do this?
3: It was one night last week. I wasn't feeling well, so... So I took a sedative and I went to bed. I dreamed that night. Fred was in my dream. Without waking, I got out of bed, put on my robe, and I went outside. I went to the garage. I got an axe and went to Fred's cottage. He was in bed, asleep. I raised the axe. Fred wakened and sat straight up in bed, horrified. I calmly put down the axe. Walked out of the room and went back to bed. If he hadn't wakened, I'd have killed him. Now, Now
1: look, Mrs. Bigelow. You're a little mixed up now. Upset, you know. This whole thing could have been a nightmare. Never even happened.
3: I realize that. In fact, when I woke in the morning, I I just thought I'd had a bad nightmare.
1: What changed your mind?
3: Next morning at breakfast, Fred came to Tom. Told him he was leaving. He He didn't say why at the time. Tom questioned him later. He told him what happened. Tom finally told me.
2: I think I get the
1: picture. It must have happened if Fred wouldn't know about it. He couldn't be reading your dream. Exactly. How come he's still here?
3: Tom prevailed on him to stay. He's our only hope of any help at all. Now he keeps his cottage bolted all the night when he goes to bed.
1: Tell you what, Mrs. Bigelow, in some kind of way, I don't... I don't know how right now, but some way there's got to be somebody who can help you. Your story is straight, but you've got to realize one thing. Going to the doctor doesn't mean you're going to be put away... Tell yourself that and tell Tom the same thing.
3: I need help. I I want help. You you lock your door tonight. Do anything but please. Please don't leave me here alone. Please. Hello?
1: Perry, this is Rocky. What's the matter? Trouble? Trouble? Man, I was young at heart when I got out here, but right now I feel like I'm traveling from here to eternity. Some pretty serious things going on around here, Perry. This gal already tried to kill the hired man. She told me how herself. Oh, then it's much worse than I thought. If she really is homicidal, she better be put away now. I don't know about that, Perry, but I do know you better fix up a date for her to see a good doc as soon as possible. Before retiring to my background for bats, Mr. Bigelow stopped in. He must have been feeling kind of rocky because that's what he was calling me. Rocky, I'm still not sure you're doing the right thing. I'd feel much better if I knew you were on your way to town. Don't worry about a thing, Tom. This will be the last night because I already talked with Shane. He's making a date for you and your wife to see a good psychiatrist tomorrow. Your wife's agreed to go. I didn't want to be forced to tell you this, Rocky, but I'll have to now. I can't take Jane to see any psychiatrist. Why not? She's willing. I know she's willing. You've convinced her there's a chance she may
2: be helped. So maybe there is. There isn't. I know Rocky because I know her case. I knew her mother's case before. How do you know? Are you
1: a doctor? Yes, I am. How come Perry Shane doesn't know this?
2: Because all that Perry knows about me is what Jane's mother told him. All this goes back quite a long time. Her mother befriended me many years ago, helped me out of some trouble... She had the same fears that Jane now has.
1: The family strain is very weak. In her more rational moments, before she went completely insane, Jane's mother asked me to forget
2: my practice and just look after Jane.
1: Didn't Jane know you'd been a doctor? No.
2: We decided to keep it from her because we never wanted her to know. Her mother had fears about her, too.
1: Tell me something, Tom. I know that when a guy gets very sick, they call in a couple of different doctors. Don't you think it'll be wise in this case? Of course, I'm not a medical man,
2: I'm a psychologist, but I'm sure of my diagnosis in this case. My old associate, Dr. Giles of Syracuse, worked with me on several similar cases. Well, if the guy was close to you, why not call him? I have no idea where he is now. We lost track of him years ago. It's just no use, Rocky. I hate to admit it, but there's no hope for my wife. Now let me have you driven back to town.
1: Won't be necessary, Tom. I can't close my eyes to everything you told me you got a lot of guts to take it this way, and I think you're a great guy, but this case is too close to you. Your wife's gonna have to go to a doctor.
2: Okay, Rocky, have it your way. I hope you're still alive tomorrow to take her.
1: That was the last sound I heard from Mr. Bigelow, and the music it made to my ears was not from Harry James. This little boy was not gonna help me get the treatment for his wife even if he had to make like a Frankenstein to stop me. Somebody had to clear up some of the picture for me. Hello? Perry, it's me again. I got a long story for you, and no time to tell it. You got some paper and pencil? Uh, wait a minute. Okay, go ahead. Check on a couple of things for me, Perry. Try to track down a Dr. Giles in Syracuse, New York. G-I-L-E-S, I guess. Find out if he can possibly come down tomorrow to examine the wife of his old partner, Dr. Thomas Bigelow. Dr. Thomas Bigelow, Tom's father? No, it's Tom, but keep it under your cap. It's important, though, that he gets down here tomorrow. And another little item, get a hold of Finger right away and ask him to check on something for me, will you? Ask him to route out the owner of the sporting goods store in the village here and find out who in this house bought a gun from him recently. It's important to find out who ordered the gun that Tom picked up. What's going on out there? Right now, I wouldn't take any bets. Uh, what's the name of the store? Where is it? Who knows? There can only be one sports store in this one-horse village. Very fine, Mr. Shane. Uh, I'll be talking to you tomorrow. We had a third party on that line. I heard the click. Right now, it was important to find out three little items. Who was on the line with us? Why were they listening? And how much did they hear? By this time, the house was so quiet, it was noisy. First thing I did was take off the shoes and drop them one by one on the floor. Now all I had to do was try to get around the house without being heard and try to find the snooper. Ow. The door was as quiet as a dentist's drill. And just a sharp. One little light burned in the hallway, but all it did was make the shadows darker and bigger. No light showed under any of the other bedroom doors.
2: Finding it difficult to sleep, Mr. Fortune?
1: Uh, oh, hiya, Fred. I, I find it kind of tough to get to sleep with all this quiet going on. I guess I'm used to the big city.
2: Considering what happened to me the other night, then may I suggest you stay in your room?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe that's a good idea. Well, see you around. Now, what do you suppose this character was doing out in the hallway after the house had called it a night? It was supposed to be dangerous for him, too. Well, all I could do now was wait till later and find out if he was spending the night outside my door. Time was pulling at my eyelids. It was dragging, and it was dragging my eyes closed with it. I was blind as a bat when I shook myself awake, only this time it was from the dark, not the drink. I listened for any sound of movement. Nothing. I got the door open this time without seeing any signs of Fred. The small light was still on, but I could see practically nothing. I made my way along the hall in the direction of what I hoped was Jane Bigelow's room. Then I heard the sound that pulled me in the right direction. I was going in the right direction, and I had the crying of a woman from my compass. I got to a door and tried the knob. I closed it just as quietly as I opened it. Jane Bigelow was in bed staring at the ceiling and sobbing her heart. Out. Mrs. Bigelow, Mrs. Bigelow, Rocky, help me, please, please, Rocky. Sure, sure. Now let's quiet down. Now take it easy. Now, come on.
3: Why? Why do I? Why do I think these things? Why do I hear my mind make these horrible plans?
1: What plans,
3: dear? What's the difference? You won't be able to hear them. Only I hear them. I hear them. I hear them. A
0: the gun. A gun in your drawer. You take the gun out of your drawer. Only I can hear them. Shh,
3: shh, shh. Rocky, you you hear it too. It's not just me. Rocky is unconscious.
1: You take the gun and you shoot Rocky.
2: You take the gun and
1: you shoot Rocky. Is this the voice you heard when you thought you tried to kill Fred?
3: You do hear it, too.
1: This is the voice that keeps telling you you're going to kill your husband?
3: Yes. How, How can you hear it? It's in my mind.
1: Lady, this voice isn't in your mind. It's coming out of your wall someplace.
3: But what's happening, Rocky?
1: I'm not sure of the whole thing yet. Tell me, did the voice talk to you before? I mean, just a few minutes ago?
3: Yes. It woke me up. It told me I went to your room. I hit you over the head.
1: I got the picture. I think I'm getting the whole picture now, so let's give him some directions. We got to get out of here fast. He listened to my phone confab with Shane and knows we're getting on to him. This little boy's going to try to kill me tonight.
3: But who? Who's doing this?
1: Never mind. I'll take this little persuader along just in case. Come on, back to my room. Now keep hold of yourself. Remember one thing. There's nothing wrong with your mind. Remember that. I know this is rough for you, but it's almost over. Just keep hold. They're bound to come after me soon. Surprise, Herman! Come on in. Rocky! What's the idea of the gun? Just following your directions. Only instead of your wife supposedly shooting me with it, which is what you planted in her mind, I'm keeping this pointer right at your skull.
3: Rocky, what's going on? My head... Rocky, I can't... No, no,
1: please don't faint on me. You feel okay. This bum has been talking to you and everything for years. Now just swallow and pull yourself together.
3: Uh, I'll be all right.
1: What a smart little voice of conscience game you've pulled, Mr. Bigelow. Check me on a couple of points. I don't know
2: what you're talking about. You
1: will. Everything fits. You were a psychologist. You knew your wife was disturbed because of how her mother died, and you kept working on her by planning things to make her believe the same thing was going to happen to her.
3: And I didn't really try to kill Fred.
1: Check me on this, Fred. Tom here coached you on the whole deal. The voice she heard, which was done through some simple gimmick planted through the house. It gave the story of what she was supposed to have done, right? All she actually knew about was what she heard. She never even left her room.
2: Don't tell him anything, Fred. He doesn't know what he's talking about.
1: He don't have to. We'll find a gimmick in the house. That's how you planted every thought you wanted in her head. And why you were coming over here now to hit me over the head and then shoot me with this gun. Later, you'd convince her that she did it. It would happen that way, too, because it was all familiar to her. Familiar because of the thoughts you planted through the voice.
3: Why did he do all of this? How how could he do all of this to me?
1: He was doing a very smart thing. Shane and everybody else knew that you had the obsession you were afraid of killing him. I'll make book. What he planned on doing was shooting you with his gun and then claiming self-defense against an insane woman. Or did both of you plan that, Fred? Uh,
2: That wasn't my idea. I don't go along with this murder business. Shut up, you fool. There was never any thought of killing anyone.
1: The life you were leading your wife was worse than death. I want to know one thing, Bigelow. I'm sure now you no longer practice as a psychologist because you were thrown out by all the decent associates who knew you. Was that the little trouble Jane's mother got you out of?
3: No, no longer practiced as a psychologist. You mean Tom was once a psychologist?
1: That's right. Figures, too. Only where decent docs use they know-how to help people, like most of them do, this crumb used is to try to destroy you. This I'll make book on without waiting for Shane's information.
2: But why?
3: Why did he hate me like this?
1: He didn't hate you. He just loved your money more.
0: NBC has presented Frank Sinatra. As that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Others in tonight's cast include Maurice Hart, Betty Lou Gerson, Marvin Miller, and Frank Gerstel. Tonight's script was written by Norm Sickle. Andrew C. Love directed. <laughs> Now, to tell you about next week's adventure, here's Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune. What would you do if a guy offered you a one-way ticket
1: to the moon, all expenses paid? Well, sir, this happens to me a couple of weeks ago. And the funny thing is, I'm all set to leave when I find out that the rocket to the moon is really a rocket to the morgue. And I'm traveling as a corpse, first class. Tell you about it next week. See you around.
0: Enjoy Fibber, McGee, and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network.